Hello, and welcome to Now Screaming, episode 40. I'm Evan Culbertson. And I'm Liz Smart. And we're watching all the horror movies currently streaming on Netflix. So you don't have to. This week we'll be talking about the 2012 horror film, John Dies at the End. But first... Happy New Year! Happy New Year! It's 2018! We know we've been away for a while. It's been a while since and our last podcast. we're still sick. Yeah, we've been sick for a really long time now. And also the holidays were crazy. Yeah, so we're both sick and we're still going to deliver you that sweet, sweet tent. Sweet what? It's sure for content. Oh. <laughs> I thought we were delivering a tent. What? I hope everyone had a wonderful holidays and happy new year. Yeah. And we're looking forward to 2018. Yeah, we love a fresh start. Hopefully being slightly better than a little the better. dystopian the hellscape hell. that was 2017. Yeah, I don't think so. There were some bad tweets this morning. A la our fearless leader. Anyway, <laughs> we're back. It's a horror movie. America is a horror movie. We're back and ready to talk about John Dies at the End which is a movie that was written and directed by Don Casarelli. Mm-hmm. Based on a book by David Wong. Yes. Who uh, is also the main character of this story. Kind of, yeah. I don't think I was, it's him. Well, that was my question, was that, like, is it... It's a pseudonym. Yes. So the concept is he's writing... Like, the character is writing this book. Well, the character adopts the name David Wong on purpose. Right. Because... He's not Asian. Right. The first strike against this movie. <laughs> Uh, Wong, according to this movie, is the most common surname in the world. I don't know that that's true. It might be true. Sounds fake to me. Let's do some real-time analysis. (laughs) I'm going to pull up the... uh... According to Wikipedia, in order, it is Li, Zhang, Wang, Chang, Wen, Garcia, Gonzalez, Hernandez, Smith, Smirnov, and Mueller. Okay, so this movie's fucked... This movie's based on nothing, is what we're talking about. Yes. No facts at all. But the book... The book was originally a serialized web series. Oh, I didn't know that. uh, I think starting in 2001, and then they published it in a book Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. And then Don Cossarelli made a movie. Don Cossarelli, by the way, uh, is the person who created the Phantasm franchise, which I looked up while watching this movie and was shocked to know that Phantasm and Bubba Hotep were created by the same person who decided to option this movie. Interesting. Crazy. I don't, I don't know who those people are. Phantasm is a 1979 horror film about an orb. It's very surreal. An orb. It right. hasn't achieved the cult status of a lot of other ones. I think because it's not, in my opinion, I don't think it's that good, which is uh, an unpopular opinion. But it's very weird and surreal and, like, you know, John Carpenter-esque. Yeah. The thing about this book... And the book, the book. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm talking about the book for a second. Cause I actually, I was excited to watch this movie because the book is one that I have been wanting to read for like a long time. I, I actually, but you haven't seen this movie before now. I never seen this movie and before. And I have, we should say that. R- yes. Right, right, right. I never seen it. I never read the book, but I was really, really interested in the book from when I first saw it in a bookstore, actually at Chop Suey in Richmond, uh, my favorite bookstore. Shout out. Uh, shout out to Chop Suey. I love you. Um, but I was really interested in this book because of the way, like, the, you know, the way that it looks and the book jacket, the way that, like, you know, the things around the book jacket, it seems very weird and, like, storytelling, like, telling a story in a different way. And I think that when I went into this movie, I really expected it to be directed like an Edgar Wright film. Like, I don't know what was in my head 
to make me feel the way. Or maybe even something like Odd Thomas. Right. Just something fast-paced Much and snappy and, and like, quick and um, bizarre. And I really wanted it to be that. And it was very much not that. I actually agree. This film is shot very amateurishly. Normally. Yeah, normally. Like, like, no, like, like, a, like a low-budget indie film, right? Yeah. Like, And that's strange to me because it's a popular book and the director isn't like a first-time-out-of-school director. Like, no. a lot of the people we have on this podcast who are... It's their first film and that's yeah, why it's not that good. Project. This... It looks very indie, and I'm... Yeah, it actually, like, reminded me less of Odd Thomas and more of something like Deathgasm and a little bit of ABCs of Death. And I realized it makes me sound like I really hated it because I hated both those things so much. But that was way more the vibe that I was getting. Do you think people who haven't listened to our uh, the back catalog understand <laughs> our podcast? I don't know. <laughs> Deathgasm has become like my reference point for so many things. And we talked about Curse of Sleeping Beauty so much. So uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you have no idea what we're talking about, there's 39 more episodes in the past. Yeah. Do you understand the uh, now screaming verse? Deathgasm is the lowest of the low. I guess that's not technically true. It's like the second lowest. But uh, it has become like my reference point for so many different things, especially this movie. I think this and... ABCs of Death and Deathgasm all kind of represent this, like, male uh, horror. This very, like, gross-out, penises, male-dominated horror that I'm not a fan of. And so I think that that's one of the things that, like, right up front was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to like this movie. So let's get right into this, because I had seen this movie before in probably 2013. Um, What did you think? First impressions, what what did you think? Not good. Like, I... (sighs) Not yet. I wouldn't say bad or horrible, but I wouldn't say good. I think that, like, I was searching for things to like about it more than I was actually liking things about it. So, yeah, I I didn't really find myself liking it. How about you? Well, when I watched this years ago, (laughs) I... I, As a child. (laughs) Four whole years ago, I remember really liking it. I remember, like, thinking it was really fun and different... And revisiting it's both those things, revisiting it now, um, I don't really know why I liked it so much because it's fine, but it's also it's fine. super broy. It's so broy, and I don't remember that. Yeah, and so I watched this expecting it to be whatever, whatever it had worked up to be in my memory, and not seeing it in four years. Um, Probably similar to what I thought it was going to be based on my, like, reading the book jacket, honestly. Yeah, and there are things in here that I like. There are definitely, I will talk about it, there are things in here I like that I remember liking and they held up. But moment to moment, um... No. No. I feel really bad about it, because I was so excited, and I, I really liked it last time I watched it, and now I'm, like, really disappointed... I am too. ...that I've outgrown it. Yeah. In four short years. That's not that much time. Yeah, like, it's not like it came out ten years ago when you're little, like... I'm embarrassed to have liked it as much as I did. I probably I gave this four stars on Letterboxd, and I'm... I, oh, wow. I don't know what I was no, thinking. it's not a four-star movie. What did you give it now? Did you read... Re- two and a half. I think I gave it two and a half also, which is my very middling, like, this was fine. I was going to say it didn't offend me, but it did kind of offend me. It's an offensive it's moment. It's an offensive it's, movie. It's a, it's a problem. <laughs> Let's talk about the overarching plot. So it's kind of hard for us to go chronologically, which we're not going to try to do. No. But it's uh, it takes the form of a story being told by David Wong in a Chinese restaurant mm-hmm. to Paul Giamatti. Arnie. His name's Arnie. He's a reporter. And it flashes between 
the scenes of them in this Chinese mm-hmm. restaurant and the story being told. Yeah, I feel like a, actually a couple other time periods because yeah, there's there's two there's like there's the the big story and then there's one small story that happens at the beginning of the movie that I still having watched the whole thing cannot figure out where it fits in the timing of the movie. It's kind of like unfortunately the movie is very hand wavy and it says that time doesn't matter. Is like a big like plot point. Is the when timing? When does this thing happen though? The, the the time is like the puff of cloud. The remember? No, <laughs> it doesn't matter because it still happened chronologically. There's still like the inciting incidents of this movie, and there is like there's a very specific scene where David Wong and his friend John, the you know titular John, titular John are like they've become like monster hunters and they become like the people that you call when you're having a when there's something strange in your neighborhood kind of thing uh and it happens after the movie it's between the it's it's between, between the movie and the meeting with Arnie well between yeah between the story that he's telling Arnie and, and the, meeting the meeting with Arnie right i don't know where the ending comes in i assume that's after the thing with Arnie yeah unclear doesn't I, matter i think so yeah the main content of the story is david telling Arnie Here's why I'm a monster hunter, basically. Yeah. Here's the stuff that happened to me. Here's how monsters are real. Yeah. Um, All involving this black goo that he and others... Call soy sauce. Soy sauce. Which is a drug. At one point, yeah. And I... And it makes him all psychic and he can, like, remember, like, know people's dreams and stuff. I want to put a pin in that because I think the... Surreal druggy elements are the best part about this film. Probably, yeah. And I think it's the part that works best. I think the fact that we spend so much time with David and John and are supposed to kind of like them is what drags this movie down. So, yeah, well, again, like the bro elements, like it's super gross. There's a lot of gross stuff. And I think that, like, there's a line up between gross stuff where, like, John Carpenter stuff is gross too. And I was thinking about this. Yeah, in Cronenberg. I was thinking about this movie because there's a lot of, like, eldritch horror kind of stuff that is not would not be right out of place in a john carpenter movie but in this it felt like gross out humor that i didn't like and there's a very specific shot of when they're monster hunting and like the first scene i was just talking about and john reaches for the door and it turns into a penis and then he's like we can't touch it oh no there's no way to get out of here anymore and it's like oh my god like is this what i'm gonna have to watch it's so juvenile and that was the tone that, like, nothing else really happened like that, really, for the rest of the movie, but it set this tone that I was like, oh, that's who's making this movie. So let's talk about the story being told. I think that's going to be the easiest way in here, is talk about what's happening in the story being told. Again, we're not going to cover most of the plot because it ebbs and flows. Right. But uh, we'll cover the broad strokes. Um, because, yeah, the, the, like, the framing of this is, all, it's like that they're supernatural. They're like they're Sam and Dean from Supernatural. Yeah. And that's like watching this what movie. What they become. Watching this movie in 2017 or 2018, whenever, uh, all I could think was that this is very, like, their relationship is very supernatural. Uh, yeah. Like the television show. Yeah, yeah, not yeah. The, yeah it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, he's, like, one of them is, like, swaggering and sexy, and the other one's, like, more like, a, not a nerd, but, like... More, more timid. Yeah, timid, concerned with, you know, how things are going to go down and stuff. Uh, and also, like, very masculine. Supernatural is also very masculine. Yes. It, has, like, it has that that vibe to it. Yeah. Um. This is a comedy, however. I think that's the other thing we should address in, like, talking about all this is that uh, I think we agree that tone doesn't work, right? Right. Um, it's it's a it's a comedy with horror elements. Uh, 
really don't think there's anything scary in this. It's not shot like a horror movie, oh, really. there's one thing. I would say there's literally one thing. It's it's probably my favorite thing in this movie. Okay, we'll get to it. Okay. Uh, in general, though, it's shot like a comedy. It's like, you know... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got the... Oh, yeah. There's no jump scares. Or there's a couple, but they're silly. It's mostly... And the way monsters are shot, it's, like, specifically so you see how ridiculous they are. Yes. And, like, you hear their voice say gross stuff. Yes. Um, silly stuff, also. The gist is, there was a party in a field, and John was playing in a band, and David was walking around being his awkward self and trying to <laughs> hit on a girl. Uh, and then a magical black man comes up to him. A and magical black man. I could not believe that. Robert like, is Marley. Is a joke? Well, and it, that's the thing, is that, like, the only way that that could have... I will t- start talking about this, because I do think it's, like, it's it's besides the penis joke, which was a problem, like, this was the first time when I was, like... The magical black man? The bla- magical black man. I was like, oh, no, we're not going to do this. It was not acceptable in 2012. It's not acceptable now. And uh, he can, like... he He's a Jamaican accent. He's got long dreadlocks. He can read dreams. He can, like... You know, he's making coins disappear. It's this whole thing. And then you find out later in the movie, like, he's going by Robert Marley, and you find out later in the movie that that's not his real name, and that, like, clearly that was all kind of, like, a masquerade, but you never meet him. He, he's right. already dead by the time you find this out. So that, to me, was like, there okay, no... cool, maybe you were gonna try to, like... Add depth? Add depth to a, tro- to a trope, or, like, right. turn a trope on its head, or and do, instead... Like, the trope be the performance, right? Because the trope... Right. We find out the trope is a performance, but we never see we what's never behind it. We never see it, and that yeah. was, that's a huge problem to me, that, like... They show us this mystical black man. He is literally what leads them down this path. But he's and nothing more than a plot he's point. He's nothing more than a plot point. And then his death is kind of a joke that you see his, like, burnt up uh, dreadlocks, like, yeah. lying on the ground. It's, like, just really almost fucked up, you guys. Didn't like it. <laughs> uh, he reads David's dreams. And David's like, oh, I don't believe you. And he's like... Well, Mr. Skeptic Man. This is really good. I really like that you're just going through all the dialogue of this movie. I feel like I'm watching it again. Uh, it doesn't matter. It introduces actually the thing one of the cool things in this movie, and we'll, we'll talk about it because we'll just we'll just talk about this shitty scene. Um he after interpreting David's dream, which ends with like a thunderclap at in like an explosion, uh he like monologues a bit about like how did your brain know that the thunder was coming? Yeah. And that's, like, a really interesting question. I agree. And, like, asking the question of, like, how are brains... Because dreams dreams are weird, right? Like, dream and logic is dreams do that sometimes. You wake up because something's happened in your life and that means something in the dream. Right. And so so the, the question that he poses, which is, how did your brain know to set up this scenario in your dream to be interrupted by a real-life event in the mm-hmm. waking world? Uh is, like, mind-boggling and kind of like, ooh, I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, this movie is asking questions like that because the very first question the movie asks, the opening sequence that I really, really liked, what, why are you rolling your eyes? We keep going back to the thing that's not the story. I love, but I, it's the only part that I liked. <laughs> uh, the movie wants to ask some interesting questions and, like... About time and space. About time and space. And that's, you know, like, a big point of it is, like, what you said, like, time isn't real or whatever. But, uh, it doesn't really continue asking those questions. Once we get into the, like, plot of the movie, it stops asking those questions. And everything becomes way more like, oh, it's just coincidence. Or like, oh, it's just, there's a stupid answer to this question. Like, the final, you know, of, like, why was it Dave and John? Why did they get sent on this mission? Oh, it's just because 
uh, you guys are stupid because you're dumb and no one would suspect you. That's not a good answer to that question. So let's go through. Okay, so let's just cover this plot in 90 seconds. Um, David goes home after this party. His friend John... You already are wasting seconds. (laughs) Let's do it in 90 seconds. Uh, Dave and John get wrapped up in this wild situation with this drug called that they're calling soy sauce. They don't know what it's called, but it's alive. Everyone else at the party died. Died from taking it. Including John. John dies... In the middle. (laughs) Maybe half an hour in this movie. Uh, The police arrest... Or not arrest, but, like, detain David. They're like, hey... Answer our questions. You talked to this guy and everyone died talking to him. Yeah. What's up with this drug? David and John, who is speaking to him through the afterlife, basically... Through, like, telephones and hot dogs and the dog and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, Get wrapped up in finding... I mean, there's not a resolution of, like, how John comes back to life. No, he's just in the the truck, right? He just is, yeah. Yeah, but it's just Dave, like, going around the whole thing... Uh, the drug makes its way into his system. Like, it like basically attacks him because it's alive and it goes into his mouth and through his cheek. Uh, they get wrapped up in a interdimensional conflict against an entity called Korok with the help of a TV uh, magician and a dog. U.S. Senator Doug Jones. No, the other one. Uh, <laughs> Fishman Doug Who's Jones. Who's my other favorite part of this movie. He could do anything and I would just love it. Uh, they go and they and travel dog. through dimensions. And a dog. Barkley. <laughs> uh, they save the world and then they, they become Korok. They become monster hunters. The end. It takes a long time to get there. It takes way too long to get there, in my opinion. All right, good plot done. That's it. I, I again, I don't really think that people should watch this movie in the year of our no. Lord 2018. No, there's but better movies. There's better movies. Uh, the thing that I like most about this is the soy sauce. Um, it is never explained what it is or what it does, which I I love. I love that it's just like. A MacGuffin that way. But also, the elements of the movie that are about paranoia and, like, what the drug is doing to you and the ways that the drug is shaping reality, the ways that, like, it seems to allow you to... I mean, we see him, like, read minds. We see, like, basically time travel that we don't really mm-hmm. understand. We see, like, the way that it shapes reality um, is very reminiscent of, I mean, a scanner darkly of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. And that is what works the best. Uh, When it doesn't worry about being grounded in these characters, who all suck, and instead decides to, like, try to play in the space of this mind-bending drug, I really appreciate it. I thought that, like, it worked, the way that it was shot worked, the way that it made me feel worked, which is like, God, I don't know what's going on, I'm flying by the seat of my pants through this plot. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Anytime it slowed down to make us care about these characters, I was out. Yeah, they're not lovable. It's like, or not even enjoyable. Like even John, who we're supposed to like because he's like John or whatever. John and and Dave are like snarky assholes. They're barely even friends. They don't appear to actually care for each other in any kind of way. And like all they do is like make cracks and be like, "Oh, I can't believe this is happening." And Dave's like, "I'm telling you, man, crazy stuff's happening." And the only two girls I can think of in this movie, they both look exactly the same. They both have long brown hair that is parted down the middle and hangs into their eyes. So they have to look up at you through the, like, sheets of their hair. And it's such a fucking ploy to make, like, in movies to make women look, like, subservient. We should talk about whether or not what it's doing is right. The most prominent female character uh, is an amputee. Yeah, I wasn't sure how to feel about that, genuinely. I feel complicated. There's a weird... So the, this is this is the situation. She's an amputee. They have a conversation in the beginning of the movie about how amputees have phantom limb syndrome. 
She gets uh, mad about it. Yeah, she's like, you're being an asshole. Like, the people who people at this party are treating her poorly. Someone tries to, like, steal her hand and do fucked up shit with it. And, like, uh, and then the, somebody's like, oh, what's it called again? Ghost hand something. Situation. Situation. Like, it's so stupid. And she's like, no, it's that's it's Phantom Lynn's and you're an asshole. And, like, it, that's great. She's self-possessed. It's fine. The, like, her only other plot point in this movie, what, the only reason she's necessary, besides the fact that she owns the dog, is that then when she opens a ghost door, she does it with her phantom hand. Right. She could, She's the only one who could open the ghost door because she... She has a phantom limb, essentially. Yeah. And I, I just, I don't know about that. I don't I like can, it. I can respect the idea of, like, oh, yeah, she's an amputee, and, like, that gives her some sort of special power. And she's a love interest. That's so stupid, though. They have no... There's nothing that suggests there's a love interest Sure, at but all. it's the same... It's, except for he says it, and it's the same as the chemistry between anyone in this movie. I agree, but it's not out of character with this movie. I don't think it's particularly bad. I think it's... Here's what I think is bad about it. I think it's bad that, like, she's a character. He clearly is interested in her in the time that he can have in between solving all of this pro- all these sure. problems like in the moments when he is just himself he's like oh oh no Amy's gonna be so mad at me like I gotta get Amy's dog back to her although he doesn't seem to try that hard uh, and then when it's the three of them at the end and they have to go through the ghost door there seems to be nothing and then at the end of the movie once they've gotten to like you know the climax and everything and he's explaining it to Paul Giamatti um, he's like what about the girl and she's and, he, and uh, Dave is like oh she was really upset about her dog but, uh, you know, we, it's fine, and we've been boyfriend and girlfriend ever since. I'm like, what the, no, excuse me? There was nothing, there was nothing there, and then it's just this long shot of them making out in front of Barkley's grave, and I'm like, stop, you never, you did not earn this. With her, with her, like, honestly, comically simple prosthetic. Yeah, it's like, it's really large, probably on purpose to kind of make it look a little silly. It looks weird. Yeah. I think she's mostly the setup for a joke. Uh, Um, Yeah, that's the problem. And, like, the plot device of her using her phantom limb to open a ghost door is, like, uh, half a chuckle, and then, oh, wait, that's all she's for? Yeah, it's not even, I don't even think it's half a chuckle. It could be potentially... It's clever. It's clever. It's clever. I don't think it's funny. I think it's actually clever, and there's a point where, like, maybe if she was a larger character and we could understand her feelings about it, or her, like how she feels about her. I mean, she specifically says, like, all amputees have it and it goes away. Like, what are her feelings about her using her phantom hands to open this ghost door? We don't fucking know because the movie doesn't give a shit. You know, like, it doesn't care about her. They just use her as a, a, as a device. Absolutely. And then she just winds up with Dave at the end She's for an object, no for sure. reason. Like, it's, it's so stupid. Ugh, ugh, ugh. What else would you like to complain about? I have a couple things. Okay. <laughs> um, actually, should I complain or should I say the thing I liked? No, let's 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 complain some more. Okay, um, Paul Giamatti is too good for this movie. The only emotional moment I had <laughs> in the entire movie, the whole thing, is he's dead. Yeah, the whole time the movie he's been dead. The he's whole a time. ghost. Uh, he's also he doesn't look like Paul Giamatti. He's black, which is also really offensive. Whatever. Um, it's oh, there's so much bad about this movie, but he's the only good part about it because he's the greatest actor in the movie, obviously. Um, and... Well, Clancy Brown and Doug Jones are both really good. They're both excellent, but Paul Giamatti's a better actor. Uh, he's sitting in his car, and Dave is is like, sorry, man, you're dead. Like, you're super dead. Your body's in the trunk. You're dead. And Paul Giamatti's like, I have kids. I had a vacation. 
I'm going to Atlantic City. I have tickets. And I literally, like, got a little teary. I was like, that's it. Like, Paul Giamatti just has to, like, act in front of me. Doesn't matter what movie it's in. Like, he's great. But it is the only emotional... He's the emotional core of this movie for 30 seconds. Oh, I actually also appreciate... Because that actually segues into uh, sort of the, the complex thing of... They keep revisiting this frame story of them sitting at the table and mm-hmm. already kind of questioning him. But then getting really excited at some point yeah. that he, like, believes him. And I think it works because I think that, like, the story that Dave's telling is so stupid and insane <laughs> that you would, ha- like, if you were telling it, they would be like, no. No. Like, Stop. Yeah. I like this book that you're, you're writing in drugs, front of me, yeah. but, like, no. Um, so I appreciate that, like, it stops to be like, no, literally, come out to my car and look at this monster I have in my trunk. Yeah. Like, yeah, because... Yeah, yeah. You would need to be sold on this to keep going yeah. because it's such an insane story. And it goes, I think that we, we see Paul Giamatti's journey really clearly, actually. Absolutely. It's like, all right, kid, that's really funny. But then when he gets so pumped for it, he gets so excited. He goes away for like an hour. There's yeah. not like an interruption yeah, for yeah. so long. Once he's into the story, once he's like, all right, I'm in, tell me your story. Yeah. We, we don't cut he back to He just listens. Anymore. Yeah, because he's just listening. And, he, and then he's so pumped. It's very sweet uh, that he gets so excited. And then obviously the letdown of him being already dead is very like... We feel that as an audience, the pain is actually really there. That he, like, got jazzed. He was really excited to, like, blow this thing wide open as a reporter. And now he, like, can't. And that is very sad. Uh, you want to hear what else I hate? Yes. Korok, the demon. Um, Let's talk about what he is first. He's a big... Eldritch supercomputer. Yeah. Like a biological supercomputer that the denizens of an alternate reality have created... I found this story kind of interesting. So basically, this alternate reality that they travel to... Um, is super advanced. Way more well, advanced than ours. Well, they were in parallel until like 1840 or whatever. There was someone who... I don't remember. Let me see if I wrote down Someone who was dumb in our world, but Cyrus was a Rudy. genius Cyrus Rudy was killed when he... In our world... I don't know if this is true or not. I don't care. Crossbreeding animals. That was sort of the point. Uh, he lived and succeeded in crossbreeding animals to the point of developing advanced technology from crossbreeding animals and then augmenting them with machines. Uh-huh. Again, I actually find this kind of interesting. It is, the yeah, mo- yeah. It's a it's a minute long in the movie, but yeah. um, the most powerful of these was an entity that named itself Korok, and then has come to like absorb all intelligence and like everything. Um, like, significant in this world. Uh, it just, like, absorbs and makes part of itself. Yeah. Uh, which, I mean, like, it's classic, like, you know, eldritch horror yeah, kind I, of thing. I, I did it's sort like of stop paying attention at this point, because that's um, fair. this is when <laughs> there's some horrible thing that's happening. I really didn't follow it. But the guy who's explaining this to Dave and John is like, your puny minds can't handle the horrors of what Korak has done. Yeah. So I'm going to show you it in like something that you can handle, aka a cartoon, and starts playing this dumb cartoon version of people getting like ripped apart and by like spiders. By spiders, and they're just blood being blood everywhere, and there's just like spiders goring out people's heads. And I was like, oh yeah, blah blah blah. Like it just it's so stupid. It's very dumb. Yes, but I, there is something there. Korok. So when they, when we meet Korok, he is essentially like a sea. Like, he's just this big red thing that has eyes, but and you can see him by, like, being on a bridge over him. So he just, like, he's endless. Like, he just goes on forever, this big ocean of Korok. And uh, my number one thing, I've definitely said this before in the podcast because it happens a lot, and I hate it. It's not original for this movie, but it's something that drives me crazy, is I hate when, like, 
big eldritch monsters or demons of any sort have like use slang or pop culture references and i understand that it makes a little bit more sense in this because he's like a supercomputer he has knowledge it, well, he's like eating brains yeah so he, maybe he's using but like it's just it's so stupid it comes across it, it's juvenile right it's like this big huge monster that like you can't even conceive he's Does he, so, like make a dick joke he makes a dick joke. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember. I don't. I I have clearly repressed what he actually right. said. But some bullshit about like, you guys' penises are small. Yeah. I don't know. Probably probably your mom jokes. Like just dumb stuff that like, would be insulting to teenage boys. And like, I don't give a shit what insults I think teenage boys. That, and that's the, the core of this right? monster is not like more creative. It's so stupid. This whole, I mean, like that's you guys at the core of it. The whole movie is for a thirteen-year-old boy. Thirteen-year-old boys, yeah, for sure. And like, it's frustrating because like there are things that work here, like we're sort of talking about, and then like, it's just so dumb. Yeah. Like word by word, it's just dumb. Yeah. And it's f- so frustrating. It, it is frustrating because of what we're saying, that there are these, like, sincerely good little moments. Yeah. I mean, like... The and one, ideas. There are ideas. The one so. that I want to bring up that I really, really like, and it's, again, it's not original to this movie, but I always appreciate it in a, in a horror film, is when he, you mentioned it earlier, when he takes Arnie out to his car to show him this monster to kind of prove to him yeah. what, back up what he's saying. And if you, it's this empty cage, and if you look at the empty cage, there's nothing there. Um, but he says look at it out of the corner of your eye and that's when he can see that there's like this giant spider creature in it and i love that i'm so fascinated by monsters that you can only see out of the corner of your eye or like if you turn around or in a mirror like there's just so many different ways to do that and it's so scary because they're there they're like there and most they're people there can't see always them. and but you can only see them if you look at them a certain way that's which is also so what odd thomas does which yes. is really cool because yeah, yeah, yeah. like you need a certain kind of sight to see them but they're always all around us which yeah. is what this movie also yeah. It's just it's just such a creative way of of doing things to be like and it's I mean like that 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 could be a setup for its own horror movie is like absolutely I mean it's it actually what it reminded me of is um my one of my favorite episodes of Doctor Who to Turn Left no um it's the all it's like the, the alternate universe where if Donna had never met the tenth Doctor and there's something on her back and the whole episode people are like there's something on your back but if you look you can't see it it's just what if you see it like out of the corner of your eye or. You know, if you're just glancing, you see it. And that, it, to me, is so scary. Like, it's such a spooky thing. It was the one part of this movie that really scared me was this idea of it being out of the corner of your eye. So again, like, there's little interesting questions there. I agree. Again, I think, we'll, if I'm trying to unify this, I think that, like, what we liked about this movie is definitely, in one sense, like, where it's grasping for, like, this larger universe and it's engaged with the universe. Because the thing yeah. I thought of was Doug Jones' character... Roger North just sort of, like, appears and is like, we need you to help defeat Korok. And, like, talks God, about how... so good. Yeah, <laughs> he talks about how he's movie. been observing humans for a long time, and then it uh, goes into, like, a masturbation joke, right? So it's right, like... of course. Unfortunately, like, it's like, okay, let's set up this larger universe where it's like, there are these Watchers, and then there's this entity that has to be defeated, and you have been chosen, but, like... That it's Dick a, jokes! It's just so frustrating. Yeah. Uh, no, I think absolutely, like, where it's like, here is where monsters are, here is engaging with them through this drug what this drug does is mysterious and yeah. if you can't handle it because there's another comment made that like the soy sauce chooses you and if it can't get what it needs from you then it just kills you right um 
which again fascinating i'm glad that it's left yeah. unexplained there's still some things that are not answered i was thinking about the the bug that he puts on his the yeah. jones puts on his chest we don't know what that thing is right and it's in several other parts of the movie we just have no idea what it is and that's really cool absolutely and the fact that um that probably my favorite character is uh clancy brown who is marconi who is like this TV, the TV psychic? I mean, yeah. honestly, he is the opposite of Peter Vincent from Fright Night, which is right. the like <laughs> the guy who hunts monsters on TV but is a sham. Yeah, and this is he like is, he's, he's the real. real thing. Yeah, um, it's Clancy Brown who is an actor that I love. He's a voice actor. He plays Mister Krabs. That's what everyone knows him from. <laughs> um, but he's also in Star Wars: The Clone Wars, and he was on Lost. He's a great actor. He uh, is basically just like very smug behind his sunglasses. Yeah, his sunglasses, around. and he's got these, like, two girls who carry all of his, you know, briefcases for him. He's, it's... He's it's great. He's got so much charisma. And it's intriguing. You don't, you don't find all the information about him either. He's just sort of this, like, mysterious well, presence. he knows a lot about the plan to yeah. defeat Korok that, uh, Dave, Dave and John, John are yeah. just, like, pawns in. And I like, like, I like that. Yeah, I don't love, like I said, I don't love that because I think that in a movie that is asking big questions, I don't know why the end of it is just, like... Because you guys are idiots. That's like the, that's the end of the movie. We should also talk about why they do de- or how they defeat Korok, which is that um, Amy's dog Barkley, who's a beautiful golden mutt, mutt, mutt of some sort, uh, looks like a big Shiba Inu. Kind of, yeah. He bites Robert Marley at the party. We and learned this. Gets powers at very the end. early. No, no, we we find out he bites him early, but he's got powers at the end. But at the end, we find out that the entire time he's had the soy sauce, so he can see the future and he knows his place in the cosmic plan, and so he sacrifices himself by like grabbing a bomb and blows himself up to destroy Korok. But uh, it was a choice that he made because he is a hero. A hero. <laughs> um, it's very silly. Yeah, that's pretty dumb. The end again, like the, the end is just so hand wavy about like, all right, we're gonna introduce this villain. He's gonna make a dick joke, and then a dog's gonna blow up to, yeah, defeat it, and then we're yeah. just gonna walk away. And then no, and then there's like, oh, and Dave and John are now these like everybody wants them to solve their problems. Like other people from other you know right then it becomes, intergalactic situations yeah. are like calling them into their other universes to help them. And Dave and John, they don't care. They're too cool for it. That's not even what happens at the end because there's a portal and they just decide to go through it for fun. For fun. Because they're stupid. And then they're like, please help save humanity. And they're like, no, we're good. No, we're okay. Which is like, good, because you. the only reason you were involved in that plan is because you guys are stupid. Whatever. It's a dumb movie, you guys. It's not good. I'm very frustrated. I really, I really remembered it well, and I really expected it to be better. Can I talk about the opening sequence now? And why it's the best part of the movie? The axe thing? Yeah. Okay. So the opening sequence sets up... The very opening. The, like, literal opening, like, you know nothing else about the movie. And it sets up such a potentially good movie. It's so frustrating. It's just a scene where, like, Dave is like, here's a riddle. If you kill a zombie with an axe... It's just like it. He, he, you see all this like narrated also, but like, if you kill the zombie with the, with an axe, and uh, you know you kill him when you're burying him, and you realize that the handle of your axe got all messed up when you were killing him, so you go get it fixed. So now you have a new handle on your axe, and you, then you kill this other bug creature because you kill it with the axe, and it makes the blade. Oh, what's the word? Splinter. Splinter. It splinters the blade. So now you got to go to a new blade. So now you have a new new blade on your new axe, and. Then the next spring, when the zombie rises up, he comes to your house and he points at the axe and he says, that's the axe that slayed me. Is he right? 
And I think that is so cool. Like, I love that. That's exactly, that. those are the kind of really interesting questions. You and I have talked about that a lot, of, like, what makes... Uh, th- we talked about it with uh, Supernatural. Supernatural, in fact. What makes this thing this thing, if it's been ripped apart and put back together? Uh, and it, that, that sets up a movie that I thought I was going to find really interesting, and I'm so disappointed. And that shot, like, completely different from the way the rest of the movie shot. It's shot it's much more like Aunt Thomas. Yeah, like... Oh, the potential, the wasted potential. It's infuriating. Also, John doesn't die at the end. He doesn't. He dies in the middle. Like, yeah. the first act, We basically. don't even really know if he's dead. Is he, like, how do you... I didn't, I, he says he's dead. He says he's dead. Did he come dead. back to life? Or did he... Was he, like, in a coma? Well, as... We find him in a truck, like, in a hospital gown. As, as, uh, Robert Marley tells us that time is a buff of smoke. <sighs> I just yawned. Don't yawn. <laughs> no, I mean, it was, an, it was an appropriate yawn. Uh, so, point being that I guess, like, the end is the beginning, is the middle, is it's all one and one. John dies, so therefore he dies at the beginning, the middle, and the end? Yes. What? Yeah, it's... Because <laughs> I was also interested, watching this movie, uh, I love when um, movies catalog their endings, because I think that a movie where you know the ending has to be good, because if you know the ending... And this, that means the stakes are pretty low for you. How do you still make a good movie? Like, that's why I always talk about Titanic. Like, you know the end of Titanic. How can it still be a good movie? And it's the answer is it makes you care about the characters. Well, and it makes you... Well, you know. It's a it's a good movie. You may not like it, but it's a well, good movie. <laughs> Stop. <is> it? <laughs> Stop. <laughs> anyway, if a movie tells you John dies at the end, and you know that the John dies at the end, then you, you, t- you take the whole movie, like trying to figure out how he can't die or how he gets out of dying or something like that. So if it's a lie, then that's stupid and it means nothing. I think we're the minority of not liking this movie. Uh, really? I think so. I think I'd be curious to know if if our listeners like it. Uh, like, what do you like about it? Yeah. I, <laughs> Share with me, please. No, like, that's that kind of setting. I mean, like, I really liked this when I first watched it. And now I cannot remember why. So, because of what we talked about, because of the questions, because of like the interesting, you know, moments of this movie that are not juvenile and male and chauvinistic and racist. Several time uh, guest James Skosky has it rated at four and a half stars. All right, Skosky, tell us what's up. Letterbox. <laughs> what's going on? Uh, so yeah, maybe James can tell us. There's what. another weird thing I forgot that I was going to say just about like, I don't know how I feel. I don't know how to conceptualize this into words, but there's a weird feeling I have about his name being David Wong and the name of this being soy sauce and a lot of it taking place in a Chinese restaurant, but there being only one Asian character and he dies so violently. And it's just like, I don't know how I feel about that. It's a weird feeling. Anyway, that was just the, a, you know, the man who wrote this is also not Asian. Peter something, something who wrote the book, Jason, Jason Pargin. What's the book is white. Cool. Awesome. Love it. Anyway, I don't get it. Please tell me. Because, I mean, like, you know I found this out. People love Deathgasm. Yeah. I went on Twitter, and I found out that people love Deathgasm, and I'm afraid to ever go on Twitter ever again. <laughs> and I was just like, so clearly there's something that we're missing. Like, that, there's a... There and is this a, is better than that. This is, better, stuff this is better than Deathgasm. So if you overlook the things that we hate about it, then I can see, yeah. Yeah. If you I mean, squint. I don't know. I've, I'm past the point of squinting on movies like this. I don't That's think I fair. can do it anymore. That's totally fair. I've seen too much. All right. So, uh, are you ready to uh, have a hero dog blow this up? <laughs> yes. All uh, right. Barkley can finally 
die for something. You died for our sins. <laughs> yes, I am. And I, uh, 2018, I, here's the situation. I really want us to start off 2018 with something that we want to do. The roulette has really been killing us, and I also haven't updated it with all of the new January movies. So this is partially my fault, but um, we talked about it, and we have considered doing a movie that we want to do. Just not not even rolling the roulette, and just yeah. doing um, a movie that we've both been seeing around Netflix that we're both really interested in. Yeah, we'll like give a shot. I mean, it might not be good. It might not be good. It might still be terrible, but it's called Bedeviled. Uh, it has been popping up on Netflix a lot. It looks, I don't know, it looks interesting. It could still be bad, but... At least we, uh, we're taking our destiny into our own hands. Yeah, for the once in the beginning of 2018. We'll go back to the roulette once I have it fully updated and, uh, have added some of the new January movies, because actually a lot of them, a lot of them look good. There's a, there's a lot of new additions that look really interesting. So our next episode is going to be to be deviled, uh, and I'm tentatively excited. Yeah. Until then... You can check us out on our website at NowScreaming.com. And on Twitter and Facebook at NowScreaming. Be sure to leave us a good review on iTunes. Yeah. Or um, wherever you listen to podcasts. Wherever you listen to podcasts. Stitcher, I think, is a thing that's growing in popularity, interestingly enough. You can write us a review, leave us a rating. Tell your friends. Yeah. It's 2018. New Year's resolution, listen to more podcasts. You know. Yeah. Tell everybody to listen to us. Yeah. Finally, thank you, as always, to Wes Craven for, uh, even when your plots get a little bit silly, even when things get a bit out of hand, not resorting to myriad dick jokes and the sense of humor of a 13-year-old boy. Even the worst Wes Craven movies are much smarter. they're not like that. I don't know why we have to do that. Aren't we we past that as a society? I thought so. I thought so, too. Listen, Phantasm is better than that. (laughs) <laughs> and I don't understand how this guy regressed from seventy to. Well, I I, mean, I want to read. I'm even like not to get back on the topic, but I kind of want to read the book now. So maybe maybe I'll do that, and we'll see what it, we'll see if you know there was something to salvage. I mean, this David Wong guy, honestly, like his new book has like a like it's like don't read this. Whatever it looks you do. super interesting. It's we were in Chop Suey. We were Chop Suey Richmond, yet again, <laughs> and it caught my eye. I was I like, know, what's it looks this good. Book? Oh well. Thank you as always to Chop Suey in Richmond, Virginia. <laughs> For Carytown, USA. Alright. Until next time, everybody. Until next everybody. time, everybody. Stop stealing my lines. <laughs> oh, spooky. <laughs> Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Have a spooky New Year. <laughs>